I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, and welcome to the Liverboard Sailing Podcast. I'm your host, Annika. I'm hosting this podcast because I want to learn everything that I possibly can about the sailing lifestyle, specifically about becoming a liveaboard cruiser. I do this by talking to liveaboard sailors as well as industry experts and find out all the essentials about boat shopping and selection, the costs of full-time sailing, and exactly how people made their dream a reality. Join me and you will get real-life advice, practical tips, and maybe you'll even avoid making some costly mistakes. After listening to these truly inspirational and hugely entertaining stories, you and I will be better prepared to start our sailing adventures. This week, I chat with Brooke and Gary from SV One Life, who traded the American dream for their dream, meaning they now live on a sailboat and explore the Caribbean. This couple is so inspirational, and they really show what can happen when you just decide to go for it. In this interview, we talk about how and why they made their sailing dream happen. Brooke and Gary talk about the reality of living the dream life and what kind of challenges they faced and what they would do differently. We also discuss what it costs to live on a sailboat in the Caribbean and what's it like to manage rental and Airbnb properties remotely. This interview is a good one, so I won't keep you waiting any longer. Brooke and Gary, hello, and thank you so much for being my guests today. Hi. Thanks for having yes, us. thanks for having us. Uh, well, as an introduction, can you tell our listeners uh, a little bit about yourselves? Uh, where are you from? Where are you now? Uh, and of course, what kind of boat do you live on? Yeah, well, I'm from upstate New York originally. I grew up just outside of Syracuse and then went to college near Albany, New York. And then I moved to Florida after that for a job. And that's where I met Brooke. So I'm originally from Pennsylvania, and I went to college in Missouri. And I moved to Florida to chase my career in finance, where I met Gary at an engineering firm. And we hit it off immediately. And we both really had the same interest and loved the water. Yeah, so that was about 10 years ago, I think. So we pretty much just started boating a lot around this area. We're here in Merritt Island, Florida now, where we bought a house about five years ago. And we were, you know, doing the normal working nine to five and going out boating on weekends and living in the house with the white picket fence. And we realized that we could only use our boat on the weekends. We just had a little power fishing boat, power boat. We could only use our boat on the weekends, only when the weather was nice. And we decided that that really wasn't what we were working so hard for. <laughs> so so now we live on our 40-foot sailboat. We left Florida on the boat last January. So we've been sailing for about 15, 16 months now. And we are currently in Florida visiting and taking some 
taking care of some things on our house, but our boat is in a marina in Puerto Rico. And uh, what kind of boat is it that you have? So she's a 1984 nautical development offshore 40. There's not a lot of them out there. I think they only built either 13 or 14 of them. And it's a 40-foot fiberglass cutter-rigged sloop. And she is a center cockpit. And yeah, she's built for offshore sailing. She's a blue water boat. Yeah, so I I actually had to Google that and look it up on your website because I saw the brand mentioned. I was like, I don't know anything about this. What is this boat? But it looks very cool and indeed very uh, offshore-like. So uh, I assume you've been happy with the uh, purchase? Yeah, she's taken good care of us and she's taken us farther than we thought we would make it so far. So And and honestly, we didn't have anything to compare her to because we were not sailors. <laughs> so she's pretty much the only boat we've sailed. So we think she's perfect, but we really don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so you had you said you had some experience on the water but on a power boat and then at some point you decided that you should switch up to a sailboat? Yeah, well we had this dream of traveling and being able to do it long term. And I think it was probably our trip to the Bahamas. So we ran our 23-foot powerboat over to the Bahamas for about a week one summer and absolutely fell in love with it. Just swimming, diving, snorkeling, spearfishing, everything, right? So we had to go back to work the next week, though, right? So it only lasted one week. And we started talking then, how do we make this last for longer, right? How do we stay at these places for a month at a time if we want to? And... For us, the only real way to do that was to sail there because, of course, you could do it on a powerboat, right? People do travel on on trawlers and powerboats, but you're limited in range and you're not really set up for being off-grid indefinitely. Yeah, for sure. It's a very different experience doing it on a powerboat and on a sailboat. So you bought a sailboat. Did you, you said you learned to sail on that boat? Like as you after you bought it, or did you learn to sail before you bought the boat? Nope. So we learned to sail on our boat, and actually, when we picked the boat up, we didn't really know how we were gonna. When we bought the boat, we really didn't know how we were gonna get her home. <laughs> so we purchased the boat in Fort Pierce, and uh, we had a two-day trip up the ICW to Merritt Island. And we thought the worst case, we can just motor the whole way. But we we got a little adventurous and put out our stay sail. <laughs> so our, the smallest sail on the boat. And occasionally we were doing four knots and we thought that was just great. Uh, but that was the first time that we had ever really been on a sailboat. Really um, been in charge of a sailboat. So we had, I think maybe once or twice, we had gone out on a friend. There was actually the owner of the company we met at. He had a sailboat in Port Canaveral and we got invited out. But we sat there and we drank beer and wine and maybe pulled on a rope every now and then when we were told to, right? We had no idea what was going on. So really our first, our first time actually sailing a boat was the boat we bought. That's fantastic. And obviously, I've seen you on YouTube, so you have now figured it all out. <laughs> I don't know if we have it all figured out, but we're... Uh... We're slowly learning, sometimes the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. Well, that's not necessarily a bad way to learn sometimes. But how long do you think it took you to be really comfortable sailing? Yeah, so once we got the boat back here to Merritt Island, we had friends in the marina that we were in that had quite a bit more experience sailing than we did, obviously. So we would take the boat out with them just go through the locks and go offshore for a few hours. And we did that three or four times probably. And honestly, after those three or four times, we felt pretty confident that we knew how to operate everything and, you know, how to make everything work. I don't think we were feeling super confident about sailing across an ocean or dealing with storms or things like that. Right. But the, the basics were not that complicated. Yeah. So I definitely wasn't feeling as confident as Gary was. Um, but I would say probably about two or three months after we started, after we left, I started to get the hang of sailing. <laughs> well, it's a little bit like you do it little by little, right? Like you do the things you're comfortable with and then you push it a little bit further and get a little more comfortable with that and then so on. That's at least how it is in my mind. Yeah. Yep, and, you're, exactly. and you're forced to learn new things when you get out there because something will break or the weather will do something different. Right. And you really don't have much of a choice, but to just figure it out once you're out there. Right. There's there's no one to call. There's no help. There's, you know, you and a boat on the water. And yeah, you just you learn just, as you go. You learn as you go. Right. You you want to know enough not to be in danger. Right. And not to hurt yourself or the boat. But once you know those things, 
the rest, all of the fine tuning and that kind of stuff you can kind of figure out as you go. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I picture myself making that decision to buy a sailboat and become a liveaboard and set sail one day. And depending on the day, it feels either really exciting, uh, completely impossible, or just downright uh, terrifying. How was it for you leaving behind your sort of old, uh, quote unquote, normal lives and starting this new adventure? Did you spend a lot of time in uh, Florida area before you set sail or... So we bought the boat in May of 2019, and we immediately moved aboard, and we left in January 2020. So we lived on the boat for about six months before we left. While we were working our normal full-time office job still. Yeah, and there were days when we were super excited, and we thought we made a perfect decision, and there were days when we looked at each other, and we said, what the hell are we thinking? <sighs> Like, are we sure we want to do this and leave the stability and, you know, the comforts of home for the unknown? Mm -hmm. It didn't become very real for us, I don't think, until we put in our notices at our jobs that we were leaving, right? Because at that point, we were quitting our jobs with no backup plan, nothing to fall back on, and just kind of going, right? So I, I think at that point, there was no turning back. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It sounds like at some point, uh, evidently, there is a point where there is, it is that point where you can't turn back and <laughs> it's go time, whether you're ready or not. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Even I mean, even to this day, sometimes we wonder, oh, man, did we do the right thing? But then we have amazing moments and we're like, yes, we absolutely did the right thing. Yeah, I wouldn't trade the past year and a half for pretty much anything. Well, I love that on your YouTube intro, you say that you changed the American dream for your dream. I'd love to know how long was the planning phase? Um, how long did it take for you to make the dream a reality from, say, from when you first got the thought that or became serious about buying a sailboat to how, when you actually bought a sailboat and, and you said you lived on it about six months? But what about the time before that? How long were you mulling over that decision to buy a boat? So we talked about it for probably two or three years, like, oh, wouldn't it be cool? And we followed Delos. They were, you know, we watched them. We're like, oh, my gosh, they're young and we can probably do this, too. But, you know, you just get com comfortable in your day to day life. And so for about two to three years, we talked about it and talked about it. And yeah, like seriously started to talk about it because I think the dream had been there for us for, you know, five, six, seven years because we had power boats and we'd go out on the water and spend a weekend out on anchor and like I think that concept was always there for us but then when we started seeing the YouTube channels and seeing that oh this can be real like you know we probably can do this and we started talking about it seriously and yeah we just started to put everything in in place to do it right we started saving money we figured out how to rent our house We got scuba certified. I had been working on boats a lot. I had worked for Sea Ray for a few years. So we kind of had the boat background and the boat knowledge. But we started researching sailing more. We got on Yacht World every single day and looked for boats every single day, right? Probably spent more time at my job than I should have looking at sailboats. <laughs> <laughs> we, we put a pretty tight budget in place and worked up our finances to see what we could afford, how many years we thought we could do this for, what our month to month expenses, you know, what we thought they would be. And uh, we stopped doing things like going out to eat and going on weekend excursions, you know, weekend getaways. And we basically just, I would say probably for a good year, we just focused on saving all that we could and started selling off our belongings. Like, you know, we had a jet ski and cars to sell and things like that. So we just really focused right. on that for about a year. Right. Because we had been so caught up in the American dream of buy a house, buy the next newest car, have a boat, you know, consumerism like, at its best for sure. Yeah. Just buy whatever. Amazon is the best thing ever and the worst thing ever. It really is. Right. Yeah. No, I, I completely relate to that. And it is so easy to get comfortable with whatever you have and whatever you built And even though you want something different, it's just, you know, it's all out of the comfort zone and you have to do things and, and all that. But it sounds like you guys 
planned this quite a while, not a long time, but you didn't just jump into it. You made plans and all that. It's, it's really interesting to hear because I've talked to a lot of people and some have just kind of done it, uh, jumped into it without much planning. Um, and others have spent a long time planning. So it's really interesting to always hear people's stories and how they ended up here or yeah. where they end up. I, I think they're there comes a point where you talk about something and we, we kind of dream about something for so long. And, and I think that could continue indefinitely, but there was, there must've been one conversation and I don't remember it, but there was definitely a point where we said, okay, enough. Like we're not going to keep waiting because if we keep waiting, next thing we know, we'll be 60 years old and we'll have missed our opportunity to do this the way we want to do it. So yeah, exactly. There are no guarantees to life. You could be, uh, you know, hit with a health issue when you're 35 or 45. So there's no guarantee you're going to make it to retirement uh, and be in the condition or physically or, or otherwise uh, to be able to go do the uh, thing you've dreamt about for 30 years. So I'm glad to hear that you guys went for it while you're still young. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we're so into hiking and diving and doing all of these outdoor activities. And I don't know if we'd be able to do that in another 20 or 30 years, right? Probably not like we do it now because, you know, we'll go out and hike 10 miles in a day and then scuba dive three times the next day, right? And if we were, if we were older, I don't know if we'd be doing that. <laughs> and, and I mean, the, the live aboard life, it's, it's hard. I mean, just getting groceries, right? Because we have to get in our dinghy and then sometimes we have to walk a mile or two to get groceries and carry them back to the dinghy and, so it's definitely not easy. And for me, I can't imagine doing this 30 years from now. Yeah. Let alone the sailing is physically demanding and, you know, exhausting. The, the long overnight sails can be pretty demanding. So Yeah. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because you've always been living this lifestyle now for like about a year and a half or so, I think you said. What would you say are the best and worst parts of it? You always said things are not as easy as one might imagine, like simple things like going to get groceries do take a lot more time. So what else have you found out that is something, maybe that's something that surprised you but or something just as fantastic and something that's terrible about this lifestyle, if there is anything that's terrible? <laughs> well, there's a lot of terrible things. And I always say the sailing life is either you have a really low day or a really high day. And there's not too many days when it's just, yeah, today was okay. And maybe I was a little bored, but the hard things for me, being on anchor, I didn't realize <laughs> what that really meant when I was living on land and dreaming about this. But sleeping at night, knowing that something could happen, a storm could come and, you know, our anchor could drag, that took me a while to get used to. And I feel like there's very rarely a night when we get a full night's sleep. Because you get used to the normal movement of the boat and the normal sounds. But when the boat moves a little bit different than what you thought it should, you wake up or, you know, you hear the wind. So you become so in tune with your surroundings that the wind shifts and you wake up, right? You just, yeah. you feel the change and you wake up. You're just, you're kind of always on high alert. Yeah. And so, so sleeping is one of those things that um, I didn't really think about, but is definitely a challenge. <laughs> But as we continue on, I feel like we're getting a little bit more comfortable and we're learning the boat a little bit more. So yeah. that's getting better. And just the day-to-day -day things, like I mentioned, the grocery store, laundry, bucket laundry is okay. But dragging your, your clothes to the laundromat and finding a laundromat, that's sometimes a challenge. I think for me, something that's been harder than I thought it was going to be is repairing the boat as we go. So I knew that would be a challenge, right? People always talk about how hard it is to find parts and how hard it is to get the right tools and all of that. And I was like, yeah, okay, I've worked on boats a lot. This won't be that bad, right? But it, it can be very frustrating because you just aren't able to fix things, right? You, you have to wait months till you get to a place where you can get the right part, or you have to wait months till you're somewhere where you can get something shipped in because even shipping logistics can be a real challenge. So I think that for me has been a little challenging because I am more comfortable when I know everything is fixed, right? And everything's right on the boat. And it's hard for me to like have something broken and ignore it for months. That's exactly right. Like our autopilot has been broke more often than it's been working. And it's not because we don't want to fix it. It's just because we physically aren't able to get the parts that we need in the islands that we've been to. Well, I mean, and, and there's always a way to get a part there, right? But 
we're not going to pay, you know, crazy shipping and expedite fees and all of that to get something when we know we can wait. So it's just, it's a balance. Yeah. And I imagine you also have to be in that location then waiting for the four weeks or six weeks or however long it takes for that package to come. You can't really leave, but you just have to be there before you order the um, part two. So then that also probably changes your plans quite yes, a bit. Exactly. So it's been nice now being back here in the States. We've had piles of stuff, parts waiting at my parents' house up in New York for us. So now when we get back to the boat, we'll have probably a, a whole bag full of parts and tools and supplies that we need to fix the little things that are lingering. And one of the things is before we left, we bought a whole bunch of spare parts and hardware and everything that we thought we needed. And the things that break are always the things that you do not have spares for. <laughs> that is what we've learned. It's like we try to prepare as much as possible, but it's it's always something different that breaks. <laughs> Well, that's a good bridge to my next question, because I uh, I got the sense that you've obviously learned a lot of lessons as you've uh, gone ahead on your journey. But uh, is there something you wish you knew before you set sail, apart from getting all the possible spare parts <laughs> imaginable? Yeah, I mean, I guess we just, I wish we knew how to sail a little bit more, <laughs> um, especially for me, because when we left, I fully depended on Gary to run the boat. And if something happened to him when we first started, I probably would have just curled up in the cockpit and cried for help. Like, I don't really know what I would have done. And, and I was just pretending like I knew what I was doing. <laughs> let's be honest. Um, so I do wish that I personally took a few sailing lessons before we left. And uh, one other thing that I think is super important, I wish I would have known how to sew. And I wish I would have brought a sewing machine on board because I've spent a lot of time hand sewing and a lot of time borrowing friends sewing machines out here. And those are two things that I feel like would have helped me be a little bit more prepared. Interesting. I've seen the uh, people use uh, sewing machines uh, on YouTube and then on Instagram and so on. But what do you wish you or what do you feel like you would have needed the sewing machine uh, most well, for? on our very first sail to the Bahamas, we ripped our main sail. <laughs> and um, it would have been nice to have a sewing machine to repair that a little better than just sail tape until we were able to get to a sail sail off our dodger in our bimini tour and so rain was just pouring in and i did my best hand sewing it but not even knowing really how to hand sew it was kind of just a and you only stuck the needle through your finger one or two times <laughs> yeah so, so just little things like that and even like clothing um salt air destroys all of our clothes in the sun and we've had to do multiple repairs on clothing and it would have just been so much easier if i could have brought out our sewing machine and you know repaired the things. All right. I will put that on my <laughs> mental list to start sewing and consider getting a sewing machine. <laughs> yeah. It seems like there's always something from, you know, our cushions and our cockpit to just everything. The, the salt air just destroys it. It would, it would be nice to have. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. The, the combination of sun and, and sea salt is probably pretty damaging to just about everything that you have. So um, I heard somebody uh, who had issues with their laptop because even though it was new, it basically was just rested up from the uh, from the salty air. So yeah, things don't probably last as long um, as you would hope either if they're uh, in that environment. So good things to remember. I'm always interested to know how people actually make the liveaboard lifestyle happen, uh, financially speaking, because there are many ways to do it. Some people work or they run a business on board. Some have saved up enough money for a few years of sailing and some are renting out their house and they get sort of uh, income coming in that way um, and, and so on. So what has been now uh, your strategy to make this sailing lifestyle happen for you? We do have the house that we're here in now, and we had been renting that while we were gone. We were renting it on Airbnb as a short-term vacation rental. So we were using most of that money basically just for equity in the home while we were gone with a little bit extra remaining. Yep. And, and we also have a condo here in Merritt Island that we rent. And But for us, mostly, we've been going off of savings. So we, we saved up and looked at the numbers and said, okay, I think we can... We can make this last for a few years. And we've always said, we'll figure out how to make money when the time comes, whether it means coming back and getting a job again or getting a job wherever we are. We don't really know what that looks like yet, but Brooke likes to say, we'll go until we're out of money or we're not having fun. 
So yeah, but the majority I, I would say is savings because although we do rent our house and a condo, the disposable income we get from that is only probably a, a few hundred dollars a month, which doesn't really sustain yeah. our month to month expenses. And we're back now to actually get ready to sell the house because trying to manage a house from afar was quite challenging and it just the house doesn't get the attention that it needs and the maintenance that it needs. So I think it will be less stress and easier on us to get get away from it. The condo is really easy. It's pretty hands-off because it's a small condo and there's an HOA that takes care of almost everything for you. So if we could go back and do it again, I think I would have sold the house before we left and traded it for some condos because those are much easier to rent for a little bit of income. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to ask about that because I'm thinking, um, you know, running an Airbnb sort of thing uh, or renting out your full house, you kind of need someone there still to, if it's an Airbnb, to then clean it or even if it's a house, just somebody to maybe look after it. So was that sort of part of the reason then why you decided to sell it then? Definitely. It was, we do have a, a woman who was coming in cleaning and taking care of the home for us. But as far as the interaction with the guests, that was through Gary and I. And sometimes we did not have the ability, the Wi-Fi or phone service to be able to get in contact with the guests when they had issues. So we were trying to source that out a little bit. But the stress from that was just, it ended up being too much because it would be like we would go diving and we would come back and we would go to town and we would get Wi-Fi and we would see that we had an unhappy guest. And that's not how we want to run our our home. And those people are on vacation. So we want them to be as happy as possible. And we just couldn't do that being this far away. So it was in our best interest to to go ahead and make the decision to sell the house. Just less stress. Yeah. And we've talked about it. And I think after living the way we have for the past year and a half or two years, we probably wouldn't want to live in a house like the one we have now anyway. You know, it's it's a big house, it's four bedrooms, it's it's got a pool and it's it's just a lot, right? It's it's a lot more than we need. We we joke that like the space we live in now is smaller than our kitchen in the house, right? Like so I think we would probably want to live a lot simpler anyway if we ever did return to live on land here. So, And I think one of the reasons we didn't sell the house initially is because it was kind of like our safety net, really. It's like, well, if we don't like it or if it doesn't work out, we know we have this house to come back to. And now that we've been doing it for over a year, we're like, oh, we definitely do not want to come back to that house. <laughs> we do not want to live that lifestyle anymore. So I think it's safe to go ahead and get rid of it. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. So you're obviously being very happy with your adventure. You feel that you want to keep doing it for a while. So that's fantastic. I'm happy to hear that you guys are uh, making uh, more financial moves to sell the house. And then that will obviously allow you to keep going even longer. Yep, exactly. Yep. Exactly. And hopefully we start to find some some ways to make some money along the way. You know, we've started the YouTube thing and we're really loving doing that because our friends and family all watch the videos and absolutely love them. And they tell us how awesome it is to see us. So it keeps us connected with our friends and family. And I think a lot of people, you know, we've been hanging out with Bo and Brandy a lot and they make their full-time income from doing the YouTube thing. So, you know, we, we do it because it's fun. And if it starts to make some money on the side for us to keep us going, that's great, right? And, it, and if not, it and was if, a good way to not, memorialize our yeah, adventure. If not, we get these awesome videos that we get to share with everyone and, and we get to look back at them. So it's it's cool either way. Yeah, for sure. And actually, something I wanted to ask about is that you obviously were busy professionals before you started, you had full time jobs, and you know, kept busy with uh, whatever your hobbies and, and so on. And then you move on to a boat. And obviously, living in a boat is very different than it. There's a lot of things to keep you busy. But I'm wondering whether learning to film and edit and doing all the things that go along with YouTube channel, uh, whether that sort of keeps you mentally active or stimulated, like whether it kind of gives you something to do. Definitely. Absolutely. I mean, we don't dive and hike every day and we're not always working on the boat. So for us, it was a nice challenge to learn, you know, learn to edit and... And, and learn to and film, film, right? So we, we started filming at the start of our adventure, not really knowing what we would do with it all. But once we started editing the videos, we started to learn how we need to film better too, right? So yeah, it's definitely given us something to do and something to learn to keep our minds active, which, you know, sometimes we feel like, I feel like I'm not contributing to society, right? Because I'm not working and I'm not doing so. It kind of gives us something fun to do and... A little bit of purpose. Keep a, yeah. Give us a purpose. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I meant. Like you, you 
want to have something to do, some something to you know work on and something to learn and improve and all that. But uh, obviously, living in a sailboat is probably quite busy and exciting anyway. But this just adds another aspect to it. And as an added benefit, you will have those videos to look back to when you're uh, old, <laughs> old, and you're living in your small home on land, maybe. Uh, and then you can you know look back to your amazing adventure that you yeah, guys had. Exactly. Yep. And if we can inspire someone else to go out and chase their own dream, whatever it may be, all the better. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay authenticity guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, Jewelry that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. So you mentioned um, that you did up a lot of, um, you did some saving before you set off. How did you figure out how much money you would need? <laughs> well, <laughs> we watched every cost of sailing video out there on YouTube, I believe. And read every blog that we could find. Yeah. And at the end of the day, we were still pretty stumped as to what it would actually cost because it's it's like living on land, right? Like, what does it cost to live on land? Who who knows? Everyone's right? spending be, habits are different. So we kind of, I don't really know. I guess we kind of just took a ballpark of what we found people that we thought would live kind of like we do on the water and, and tried to go off of, off of their numbers, just a ballpark. Yeah. And my background is in finance. So I kind of looked at what we were spending per month on food and groceries and the like essentials of life before we left and laid that all out for us. And then we estimated like a maintenance figure um, for the boat, um, entertainment, things like that of what we thought we would spend and use that as a base. And so far, it's been pretty accurate. We actually are going to put out a budget video, hopefully pretty soon um, of our first First year cost of cruising. Yeah. One thing that actually really helps us save money while we're doing this is tracking the money, right? Because if you know something you know is going to be marked down as ten dollars, you think twice about, oh, do I really need that little trinket in the store? You know, well, just just keeping track actually is a great way of saving money. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because when we get toward the end of our our month and our budget, I'm like, well, you know, maybe we can just buy, go out to eat next month or go to the bar next month because we're close to our budget for this month. So it does keep us accountable. Yeah, no, no, that makes perfect sense. Um, understanding that everybody has a different budget and different lifestyles and uh, items they want to spend money on, and uh, but excluding any major sort of boat work, do you have an idea of, of the amount of money you would spend typically in a month while you are sailing in the Caribbean? Yeah, so... So if we take out our boat maintenance and parts... So any maintenance and things we've done to the boat, we spent $15,000 in our first year cruising. And that includes going out to bars. Um, that's our dining out, groceries, that's customs clearance fees, uh, communication. And then we spent about $8,000 in boat maintenance and parts. So for our first year, we spent about almost $24,000. Yeah, so about $2,000 a month. And that included, I think, the biggest expense we had all year was when we hauled the boat out in Grenada and did bottom job, repaired our bent strut and shaft and realigned the engine and 
upgraded our solar, put in the new battery bank, a whole bunch of work that was pretty major expenses. So our our monthly expenditures kind of vary. There's months where we spend, I think there was one month in the Bahamas where we were pretty isolated and we spent less than $500 for the whole month on everything because there was simply nowhere to spend money, right? We couldn't have bought something if we wanted to. And then you find you get to a place where you can get access to parts and supplies and haul the boat out and do work. And then you, you find in those months, you, you spend a lot more. But we had, I think we had expected to spend about $2,000 a month total. And that's about where we've ended up from the first 12 months. So I think it's about what we expected. You know, we, we try to save money where we can. We don't go out to eat very often. And we do pretty much all the work on the boat ourselves. And, you know, we do bucket laundry when we can, <laughs> but by, by far the big, biggest expense, I think a third of our expenses goes towards the boat. And then a third goes to groceries. Yeah, for sure. So there's always those and those still depend on where you are uh, in the Caribbean as well. But overall, the number of, you know, about 24,000 a year, it's not bad. It's actually quite a bit lower than I expected because I'm spending 24,000 Canadian uh, on my rent alone in a year. So, you know, that <laughs> that is actually very reassuring to hear. Of course, US Canadian dollars don't always exactly match up, but uh, it, it's a really um, interesting number. And uh, yeah, it's a little bit on the, uh, even on the lower side because I have followed you guys on YouTube and you do exciting things, but obviously not all of them cost money. So you know, it still looks like you're living your full lives uh, and not, you know, giving up something, if you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. And I think, uh, you know, hiking is free, diving for the most part, unless, unless we have to dive with a shop, um, costs us basically nothing except for the maintenance and things of our gear. And we would rather buy a bottle of rum at the local rum shop and go sit on the beach and talk to the locals than go to the wine bar that you know, the tourists are going to. Um, and the same way with dining out, we do eat out occasionally, but the places we eat out are the local roadie shops or, you know, um, a woman cooking in her kitchen that sells out in her front yard. So our dining out and going to bars and stuff, that number is a lot less than I think you would find yeah. with some other yeah. I mean, the, the, the boat maintenance is kind of unavoidable, right? Like things are going to break. And if you sail a lot and you move a lot, more things are going to break, right? If you have a slower pace of moving and you tend to stay in the same place for, you know, three, four months at a time, then you can probably, you know, budget for less on that. Yeah. And I imagine also COVID has offered some limitations uh, on whether you can go out and eat and, and do those uh, sort of social things. And I wanted to talk about this because you obviously started sailing kind of just before COVID became a real problem. So did that ever make you doubt your decision to set sail? Were you thinking of going back home or were you kind of always pretty confident with your choice to keep going? Well, yeah, so we left in January and then COVID really started to ramp up in March of last year. And we were in the Exumas in the Bahamas when it really started to pick up. And we had plans to go down to the Ragged Islands, which is pretty isolated, no cell phone service, not really any settlements down there except for one on the southernmost tip. So COVID was kicking in and we thought, okay, no big deal. This will blow over in a week or two. We'll just go hide out in the Ragged Islands. And when we when we get to the next place, you know, everything will be good. Well, we did that. And when we got cell phone service again, we saw that it was worse, far worse than we thought it was going to be. So the Bahamas pretty much was shutting down. They were telling all foreign vessels basically to go home. And our visas were expiring there because our three months were up there. So our choices at that point were either sail back to Florida and come back to a house that was rented and no jobs, right? And basically quit, which we didn't want to do. Or the only other place that had open borders still was the USVI. So we talked about it and looked at it and it was a long straight shot and it was not what our original plan was. Our plan was always to do the Bahamas, jump down to Dominican Republic, jump over to Puerto Rico and do these short little hops. 
so that we can learn to sail offshore, right? But when it came down to it, we said, well, we've come this far, we're not giving up. So we decided to make that long sail to USVI. It took us 10 days, 10 days, 10 and days 10 nights offshore. Straight through. Straight through with the autopilot that broke on day one. Yep. Day four, I was looking for a way to jump off the boat, <laughs> but, but realized there was no place for me to go. <laughs> there really is no option once you're that far away, right? You could turn around, but it's also going to take you four or five days to get back. So at that point, you might as well just keep going. So we made it to made it to USVI and... You know, and, and the COVID thing has been a challenge for sure, right? A lot of people told us, oh, it's it's the best time you've left at the perfect time. You got away from the States right when COVID hit. And we've said, yeah, it's, you know, I guess good that we weren't in Florida for all of this and didn't have to deal with all of that. But international travel during the times of COVID was not easy either, right? It was quite challenging. So from USVI, we wanted to get out of the hurricane zone. So we, we decided we would go down to Grenada, which... They were great. They opened up their borders. They required that we come during a certain window. They gave us like a three-day window that we had to arrive during, which for sailing is a challenge enough, right? Because you don't know whether your sail is going to take you four days or six days to get somewhere. And then also you're normally waiting for the right weather. But now we had this three-day window where we had to be there. So you're kind of forced just to set sail regardless of what the wind's doing. But we made it down there and did our I think it ended up being like a 10 or 11 day quarantine on the boat. And then we found we were pretty much able to to go where we wanted to go with a few exceptions. And we just we had a lot of testing um, and the testing is expensive. In some places, it was as cheap as $25 and as expensive as $400 a person. Um, so it really varied. But we went to the places where we could and where testing was cheaper than other places. And it actually allowed us to go to places that we wouldn't have gone to otherwise. Um, we had to skip Martinique, Guadalupe, and Dominica because at the time we passed those islands, they were all closed. But we found a little island, St. Eustatius, Stacia, and it was absolutely one of the favorite, our favorite stops that we've had so far. And we wouldn't have gone there if those other islands were open. So definitely had its ups and downs. Yeah, COVID's been a real challenge socially too, because it's really instilled a lot of fear of travelers and foreigners, right? So in some places, it was okay. And, and the locals didn't seem to mind so much. And they, they knew that we were coming in with quarantines, with testing, and they knew that we were safe. And then in other places, there was a lot more skepticism about us being there. So it's kind of been hit or miss as to how that works. Do you feel that that's changing now? Then vaccinations are, I guess, well, they're rolling out in, in the U.S., but maybe not in the Caribbean. But do you find the attitudes are still kind of touch and go? Or is there more optimism towards uh, tourism and tourists? So actually, um, the vaccinations have rolled out in the Caribbean as well. I think uh, one of the problems is a lot of the locals don't believe they need the vaccination because COVID isn't there, right? They might have only had a few cases. So I believe that their view on tourism is still, well, they don't want tourists to come and bring it into an island that doesn't have many cases. So I mean, it, it varies, of course, just like the opinions here in the U.S. are highly varied and highly contentious. You know, you walk around anywhere through the Caribbean and, and you can find someone who says, oh, it's no big deal. Just open the borders. And you can find someone who says, you know, no, keep everything shut down. We don't want people coming. So you can find any opinion you want there. You know, it's. Yeah, but I do feel like as more people are vaccinated and the borders open, that the locals will be more accepting and find more comfort in, in tourists visiting right. their countries. But overwhelmingly, we found even through COVID that people were welcoming us into their homes you know, inviting us to share meals with them, you know, wanting to show us their, their island, their town, their village. And, you know, I, I don't think that's ever going to change, right? People are social creatures. People are social and they're good and they're loving in general, right? There's sure there's crime and there's problems everywhere. But in general, we find people are very interested in us and we're interested in them. And it's real easy to get to know people and, and form that bond. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. And I think it will take some time before the attitude or sort of general sentiment will go back to what it was. Uh, even here in Canada, I work in the tourism industry and we do quite a lot of research or follow the research on 
how do Canadians feel about opening the borders, whether it's the U.S. or internationally? And even that changes and Canadians don't even still don't feel comfortable opening the borders. So uh, it, it's a very unique uh, global problem that we've uh, been presented with uh, with this. So we'll see how we go with that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're just going to continue to sell to places that will open their doors to us. Right. And, and make the, the most of it. Right. I mean, that's kind of what it, it wasn't our plan to sell during COVID, obviously. Right. But our plan was always to just make the most of it. Right. So you, you kind of just keep going and go where you can go and follow the rules where you go as best you can. Yeah, well, I did want to talk, uh, want to talk to you about your plans or, or maybe there are more hopes at this point, but obviously you're right now in uh, Florida for the moment, but your boat is in Puerto Rico. What's next for you sailing wise? Where do you think you'll be headed? Are you quite happy to stay in Puerto Rico for a while? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Puerto Rico was just the landing place for us to be able to fly home for a month to be able to sell our home. But we can't wait to get back to the boat and uh, the sooner the better. But we're looking to sail south, probably to Bonaire and then Colombia for hurricane season. But we really want to sail the Western Caribbean and hopefully go through the Panama Canal. That's our dream. Yeah, we've always said that we want to travel by sailboat to go to places that we couldn't easily fly to, right? Because what's what's the point in going through all of the effort to sail somewhere for 10 days or whatever it takes if you can just hop on a flight and be there in a few hours. So so for us, like, you know, Puerto Rico will be interesting. There's things we want to see and do there, but it's also a place that for us is very easy to get to from the States all the time anyway. So so I don't see us spending a ton of time there. But you know, we we really like the smaller remote islands that don't have major airports, don't have resorts and high rises. And, you know, we, we like to get away from the, the normal tourist avenues as, as much as we can. Yeah, that resonates with me very well. That's kind of my thinking as well, that if I'm to live on a sailboat and go explore, I want to see the places where I can't get to easily if I was, say, a regular tourist flying in somewhere. So uh, I totally get that. I look forward to seeing all of that uh, new adventure stuff uh, in your videos. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens in the coming months. Right now, the South Pacific is mostly closed to, to yachts coming in. So... I think our plan now is just to get south again for hurricane season, and then we'll just kind of see where we go from there. We've always said, I think, that we're more interested in going west and to the Pacific than we are to cross the Atlantic, but I don't know. One one thing that we've learned with sailing is it's hard to make plans, <laughs> because, and especially during COVID, it's, it's tough because you never know... At, the rules and everything are changing all the time. And, you know, one one week we're going to Bonaire and everything's great. And then the next week Bonaire is closed down before we get there. <laughs> so you just kind of learn to go with the flow and go wherever wherever the wind blows you, basically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sounds like that is a, it, it's a requirement for sailors to be able to just go with the flow and change plans pretty frequently. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, trying to be on a schedule is is a really tough thing on a sailboat in this lifestyle, right? Just because there's so many variables at play. There's there's weather, there's what's broken on the boat at any given time. There's whether you're able to stock up on food or not, you know, like you're not always able to get fresh produce in some places or meat or whatever you need, right? Like just the situation is always so fluid. I think that's what makes it so fun though at the same time, right? Is is every day something something different will happen, right? It's It's not like the nine to five life that we lived before where you pretty much knew every day you're going to get up, you're going to go to your job, you're going to come home, you're going to have dinner and you're going to go to bed, right? And you're <laughs> going to do the same thing the next five days. It's it's so much more varied out doing what we're doing now. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly what uh, attracts me to the lifestyle as well, just to not know what the next day brings. So that's definitely one of the uh, highlights that I look forward to. But um, just as we start to wrap up here, what would you tell someone who is considering this lifestyle? Well, I would say commit to it, right? If you really want to do it, there there comes a point where you just need to fully commit and and go for it, right? Because if you kind of just like linger forever, you know, you can always sit there and dream and dream and dream. But at some point, you just got to make up your mind, okay, I'm going to do this. It's going to happen. And then you can start to figure out, okay, how do I make this happen, right? 
what what steps do I need to take? Do I have cars? Do I have debt? Do I have something that I need to offload? Do I have a job that I can work remotely? Do I have a job that I need to quit? Like how do I how do I make it work? So that would be my my biggest thing is like if if you're gonna do it, just go for it. And I, I think one of the biggest concerns, well, for me was money. How are we going to sustain this this lifestyle? But I really think you only spend what you have. And it's so easy in this lifestyle to be able to control your expenses apart from boat expenses. But, you know, we've seen people out here in Anchorages that have a million dollar boat to, next to us. And we've seen people who have a $2,000 boat. And we're all doing the same thing, enjoying the same view and the diving and the hiking. So I really think you can do with much less than... I thought that we could. And I think that's important for people to know that you don't need a brand new boat or, you know, a big savings to be able to do this. You just need enough to get to get by, to get started. And then things will fall into place, really. Your attitude and your determination is far more important than your checkbook, for sure. Well, just before I let you go, tell us where can people find you and follow along on your adventure? Yeah, you can find us on YouTube. Our channel is Sailing One Life, or we recently put together a website and that is svonelife.com. And you can follow us on Instagram, svonelife, and on Facebook, Sailing One Life. Fantastic. And I will put all the links uh, down below in the description as well. So uh, people can go check you guys out. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on Instagram as Annika Rautiola. And as you probably don't know how to spell that, I will write that out in the description. You can subscribe and listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and so on. And more Live Aboard Sailing stories coming next Wednesday. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.